This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. My mind is always going, and it jumps from one topic to the next. Honestly, it's a fairly rare occasion to have my mind sit idle. It's always been like that, though. One moment, I will be making a supper plan. When my mind skips over and wonders what my son is doing at that particular moment at school, and then it wouldn't be uncommon for it to flip over and start thinking about something work-related or perhaps even our weekend plans. And then eventually, it will loop back around to that initial supper plan that I was sitting there making. I don't know if this is how everybody's mind works, but that's how mind functions. It might sound kind of scattered or stressful and chaotic, but to me, it provides a reassuring feeling that everything is going well, and that there's no extreme drama happening. That is interrupting my simple, mundane thoughts. I am not sure what this may say about me as a person in general, but I would be completely lying if I was trying to depict that making the big decisions for me were completely effortless. It's quite the contrary. When I need to make a significant or thoughtful decision, I spend sporadic parts of my day idly thinking, pondering contemplating and considering the decision's outcome from various angles. Doing this quiet, reflective, internal thinking before I start speaking my thoughts out loud gives me a sense of control and a feeling of calmness. From this description though, it might sound like it takes me an agonizing amount of time to make a simple decision, but that's totally not true. My career as a nurse required me to make all kinds of decisions on the fly, and I easily did it without feeling stressed. What I'm talking about are the big decisions, the ones that impact your life in a really big way, where there's no redos or going backs. More specifically, one huge decision that I was tasked to make on my own was whether or not to have my blind eye removed. This was the eye that I can actually never recall seeing from, that in time over the years, it no longer looked or functioned in its intended way. Yeah, it was small. The sclera or the white part of the eye, it looked bruised and bloodshot. The colored part of the eye was completely hazy and permanently covered with calcium. My pupil was distorted with completely undefined lines. It still moved fine, but it was chronically dry and so irritated. There was actually a 0% chance of me ever being able to see from it again. I'm Becky Zarr and this is The Blind Reality. From this descriptor, the decision to have it removed probably seems fairly obvious to the outside person. But to me, it was a decision that I actually struggled with for about 10 years. For some reason, 
I just couldn't let go of it. And in my mind, letting go meant giving up, and I most definitely do not easily give up. Having my eye removed made me think like all of the surgeries, treatments, appointments, and medications were all for nothing. I felt like I was taking everybody's efforts and time and throwing them away simply because part of my mind finally recognized that it was time to move on. I felt a little bit guilty also because this surgery in many ways was considered cosmetic. It wasn't a required intervention and it wasn't like I couldn't live like this as it was. My unusable, tired right eye may not have really physically hurt me a ton, but it most definitely indirectly did. I've lost track over the years of all of the occasions where I was laughed at, judged, ridiculed, made fun of, or simply stared at because of the appearance of my eye. Going way back, one story that comes to my mind involved my brother. As I've mentioned before, growing up, my brother was extremely protective of me, regardless of the scenario. He was in grade 12 when I was in grade 9, which meant he was my ride to school. Word got around really fast that I was Travis's little sister and therefore completely off limits to date. He told me which of my friends he approved of me hanging out with and that year, I had no hope of getting away with anything because if my brother wasn't right there lingering, his friends most definitely were. I may have found this a bit annoying in high school, but over the years, I've gained a new appreciation as we've grown up. After high school, his protective nature continued, and I remember being about 19. A couple of friends and I had gone to a bar one evening. We had waited in line, talking, giggling, and just being normal, typical 19-year-old girls. Within minutes, we were at the front of the line and about to enter when I was suddenly reminded that I was just a bit different. The bouncer decided that it was appropriate for him to make a spectacle out of me. He noticed my right eye looked unusual and took it upon himself to point it out, not only to me, but to everybody around me. He said, oh my god, look at your eye. What is wrong with your eye? It looks all messed up. He turned to his buddy, standing next to him, and said, hey man, come look at this chick's eye. It looks freaky. Yes, my eye did look different. It was blind, and I had not used it for so many years. It was smaller than a typical eye, and like I said, the green color was shadowed with a white hue. The pupil was dilated, and he was right. It was anything but normal. But this was not the time or place that I really wanted to be reminded of at all. In the end, I said something smart back and I shut him down. My confidence 
was shaken as I momentarily stood there staring at the worn wooden floor. My thoughts were redirected by an encouraging friend. As my gaze shifted from the floor up, I remember catching my brother's eyes from across the room. It turned out that he had watched the whole scenario play out and was now striding across the room towards me. My brother asked me what the bouncer had said to me. I filled him in and suddenly my brother had me by the arm and we were now heading in the direction of the bouncer. I should maybe mention that my brother is six feet tall, athletic, popular, and has a healthy confidence. Suddenly, I was standing back in the place where I recently was made to feel so little. My brother called the guy's name and locked eyes with him. And he said, hey, she's my sister. Do you have a problem I need to know about? The bouncer replied, uh, no. My brother said, I think you owe her an apology. And if I ever see you bothering her again, you will have to deal with me. The bouncer did apologize to me that day, but his words really didn't mean much to me. But what did mean something was the little reminder that no matter how old we got, or where we were, or what our life circumstances were, my brother will always be there for me. Looking back, it's astonishing how many random strangers thought it was their job to let me know that my right eye didn't look quite normal. Perhaps they thought that I hadn't noticed yet or something. The lack of finesse that some members of the general public possess often baffles me. As for the professionals, the removal of my right eye, it had periodically been brought up by various doctors. But, respectfully, nobody really pushed the subject. It was definitely something that I had quietly considered on my own for years, but I rarely spoke about it. It had been a few years since my last prescription update. Fashion had changed, and it was time to have my glasses updated. Because I was so closely followed by my ophthalmologist, I did not have a strong connection to a local optometrist. So, I took the advice of a friend, and I booked him with an optometrist that she had recommended. I can easily recall this one and only appointment that I had with him. I filled out all of the necessary medical history forms, waited my turn, and within minutes of meeting him, his attention was switched from the prescription that I came for my sighted eye to my unsighted eye and all of the damage that the disease had inflicted on it. Whenever I tried to redirect him back to the main purpose of my visit, his focus didn't last all that long. And once again, his attention was back on the spectacle of my right eye. I get it. I'm a bit of an oddity, 
and I'm okay if somebody looks at my eye with interest as a way of learning or knowledge sharing. But I am most definitely not okay being looked at like I am a mythical creature. I'm human, and at that time, I was a 26-year-old girl who was self-conscious enough. This optometrist then started inviting his colleague buddies in to come and have a look, which again, I'm okay with if it's done in a polite way. Again, if it's for educational purposes or knowledge building, that's great. But if it's just so they can discuss how big of a mess my eye is that night over beers, then I don't want to have anything to do with it. I really do think that the optometrist was very excited and keenly interested in my eye, but I also feel that he may have forgot where he was and perhaps he should be using his inside professional voice. Amongst the oh my god, oohs and ahs that he said to me, he also said, you do realize your eye is rather unsightly and there's no hope for it. You should really have it removed and you would look way better. I then picked my job off the floor, thanked him for his opinion, and left. Just as a side note, I never did get that prescription for new glasses that day. As much as I think this guy was a total ass, he actually gave me the reality check that I was very much needing. It took me a while to get to that point, likely because in the back of my mind, I knew he was right. I just wasn't quite ready to admit it yet. What it did though, besides make me really mad, was get me thinking. Like really thinking in a total different way. Not like the airy fairy, fluffy, maybe someday hypothetical kind of thinking that I had done for years. But rather, it got me to look closely at why I had not made this decision already. What was holding me back? And what was scaring me about taking this next step forward to let go of the past? In time, I was able to work through these questions on my own, with the support of quiet conversations with my husband. I knew the next step I had to do was to seek input and guidance from Dr. Garcia. He was very honest, yet gentle, when I asked him for his opinion. He totally understood that this was a decision that I was not making lightly. And, as always, he guided me in the right direction and introduced me to another one of his amazingly talented colleagues. All of my questions had been answered and despite my nerves, a sense of peace with this decision was now finally in my heart. When the actual surgery day rolled around, I was a bag of mixed emotions. I had been nursing for two years at that point, and oddly enough, 
I felt a bit rusty being in the client role. It had been 14 years since my last major eye surgery and I was an adult now. I had most definitely lost my innate childhood trust that without question, everything was gonna work out just fine. I knew better now. Mistakes can happen even in the most controlled environments. With these thoughts swirling around my mind, I couldn't help but think, what if they accidentally removed the wrong eye? I mean, what if they accidentally take out my sighted eye instead? Now, I think for the most part, I'm a fairly level-headed, rational individual. But do you know when they say that something only happens to one or two percent of the population? Well, I usually for some reason land within that population. So when the nurse was doing my pre-op checks, I literally got her to draw an X above my right eye. Kind of like X marks the spot. Looking back though, an arrow pointing down over my right eye would have been even more clever. Long story short, the medical team was completely dialed in and no mistakes were made. And on April 23rd, 2007, at the age of 27, an enucleation surgery was performed to my right eye and my right eye was permanently removed. After several weeks to allow my eye socket to heal, I was given the green light to finally schedule my first appointment with my new ocularist. I remember it being a very exciting day. As you can imagine, I had not been in public or around many people while my eye socket remained empty. When I arrived at my first ocularist appointment, I really was unsure as to what the process was going to be. I mean, I knew that I was going to walk out of there with two eyes at the end of the appointment. One was going to be natural and the other artificial. At the start of the appointment, we spent a lot of time just talking, looking at and color matching my sighted eye. I remember diligently trying to answer all of his questions, which for the most part seemed fairly typical. I remember, however, being a little bit startled when he asked me what I wanted my new artificial eye to look like. I'm pretty sure the expression on my face was probably priceless, as random thoughts raced throughout my mind, trying to understand what his question was. I didn't want to come across rude, so I asked him what he actually meant. He clarified by asking me if I wanted both eyes to look the same, or did I want my artificial eye to look normal? And what color eye did I want? Holy cow, there was way more to this process than I had initially even considered. He went on to tell me that he has made purple eyes, red eyes, bloodshot eyes, and pretty much anything that I could even imagine he could probably do. 
I sat there, quietly considering all of my options, and I replied back to him saying that I would just like my eyes to look the same. I would love for them to match. I told him that for as long as I can remember, my eyes have always looked notably different. I don't need them to look normal. I just want two that look the same, please. He replied, okay, let's do it. He sat across from me with his paints and meticulously replicated me a matching eye, right down to my small displaced pupil and a couple of wee tiny blood vessels. He molded the back of the eye to sit perfectly against the coral implant that was put in during my surgery. Together, they actually even allow my eye to move in a natural way. It did take a good couple of weeks to get used to the feel of my artificial eye. And by this point, I had already returned to work. Not many people at work knew the precise reason for me being away. A couple of them did know the details, but in general, most of them just knew that I was away for an eye surgery. So I'm going to attempt to condense this story as much as I can, while still being able to paint a clear picture of all of the drama that ensued on my second day back to work. I had been sitting with senior level colleagues in what felt like a lifelong meeting. When a friend of mine realized that she was short a couple of handouts. I eagerly assured her that I was totally happy to step out of the meeting and make her the additional copies. While standing alone in the copy room, I kind of began twisting around trying to stretch out my poor back from that long meeting. I recall repairing a jam in the copier while simultaneously slightly poking the corner of the outer side of my eye. My artificial eye did feel fairly natural, however, just like a natural eye, I still did get the occasional itch. Here's where the story goes completely awry. Apparently I'm not as good of a multitasker as I had once thought. It turns out that my gentle itching provided just enough force to dislodge my artificial eye. And in what felt like milliseconds, I felt my artificial eye pop out. I actually saw it take place out of the corner of my sighted eye. And somehow, luck was with me. And I managed to catch it in my hands before it landed on the disgusting, questionable copy room floor. I stood there completely paralyzed for a moment, staring at my artificial eye in my hand as it peered back up at me. I totally ditched my friend's papers and sprinted to the ladies' washroom. I stood there in front of the mirror, trying to wedge it back into place. Mascara was running down my cheeks as my socket watered in response to this unfamiliar touch. Then I started to slightly giggle as I began to imagine the image that one of my colleagues could potentially walk into should somebody require the washroom at this precise moment. I decided to abort this plan after several unsuccessful attempts. 
I then rushed out of the washroom and slid into an empty office and closed the door. I made a less than casual phone call to my husband. When he picked up, I explained everything that had happened and I told him that he needed to come right away and come and pick me up so he could drive me to somebody who could actually put this thing back in. There were several seconds of silence during which I believe my husband was trying to process everything that he had just heard. Being who he is, he's very calm. He then replied to me, Becky, you can still see, right? He continued by saying, jump in your car and drive wherever you need to go. I stood there, kind of stunned for a moment, and then I began to laugh. Right, right, yes, I can still see. You know, I kind of just thought, my eye popped out, it's in my hand, therefore I probably shouldn't be driving anywhere. My husband replied back and said, yeah, that's probably an accurate statement, but in your scenario, you're referring to a plastic eye, Becky. Just relax. Long story short, I returned to the washroom for one last attempt. This time, I think I had a clearer mind and I was able to get my eye back in place. I wiped the mascara off my face, straightened my skirt, and collected my colleagues' papers. I returned to the meeting with a professional smile on my face, apologizing for the slight delay. The never-ending meeting continued, and while I was sitting there, I remember quietly thinking, holy crap, what if I accidentally poked my eye in the wrong way while I was just sitting here, causing it to pop out and roll down the boardroom table and land it in someone's lap? I started to picture this happening in my mind, and I nearly started laughing out loud. Then I got thinking, oh no, what if I put my eye in upside down? Is that possible? What if I'm looking in two totally different directions? What if I look totally crazy right now, just as I'm sitting here? To this day, I have no recollection as to what was discussed at that actual meeting. But the one thing that I did retain was that poking the side of my artificial eye will likely result in a situation that I will not want to be in. So today I have with me one of the most artistically talented individuals I have ever met, my ocularist, John. I've decided to invite him to come on the show and have a chat today. So welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. So my first question for you is, can you describe briefly what an ocularist is and the type of clients you typically work with? Yeah, for sure. So basically, uh, an ocularist is a trained professional um, skilled in the art of fitting, painting, and fabricating custom ocular prosthesis, or as we call them, artificial eyes. So basically, it's a five-year program consisting of hands-on practical training, uh, working under a board-certified ocularist in combination with attending lectures, workshops, and exams in affiliation with the American Society of Ocularists. So once certified, the ocularist keeps a certification by attending regular meetings to obtain continuing education credits. 
Yeah, and to answer your question about who I would work with, I primarily would work with patients who have had either their eye removed or they may have a tysicle damaged globe or eye that no longer has vision and usually becomes quite deteriorated. So about 60% of my patients would be from reasons of trauma. Uh, about 30% of my patients would be uh, disease like cancer. And then a very small percentage of my patients would be congenital. So they are maybe born without an eye or possibly underdeveloped eye. My next question is, why did you decide to become an ocularist? Yeah, that's one of the most difficult questions I get because I don't have a really good, like, fun story for that at all. It was actually an opportunity <laughs> that was, <laughs> it was an opportunity that was brought to me actually. And the ocularist that hired me and trained me was a family friend and knew, I guess, my personality, work ethic, willingness to learn, and basically it took off right away with the opportunity. And that was back in um, May of 1999. So many other ocularists have become what they are through like a family business, some due to a very artistic background, and even some because they have an artificial eye themselves and became interested when they saw the process of how the prosthetic eye is made. So there's not a real big demand for my service, although there is still a need for it. And all in all, it's been a very rewarding career choice for me. And I here in Saskatchewan that I'm here full time on my own now. I'm very fortunate to have great doctors to work with, great ophthalmologists and oculoplastic surgeons that do great surgeries. So when a patient presents my office with a great socket to work with, uh, usually I can get a really good result. So it's been a pretty good opportunity. Oh my goodness, we are so lucky to have you here in Saskatchewan. And without you, I know I personally would be in a big pickle. So my third question for you is, what is something that you've done within your career that you are most proud of? Yeah, and that's a good question too, because honestly, Becky, what I do for a living is most days is very rewarding on its own. Um, just even last week, I made someone their first eye after they've been through cancer. And at the end of the day, she was so emotional in a good way, you know, and um, that that feeling is just, it's what been 22 years for me. And that just never goes away when you, you know, give someone their first prosthetic eye and they look in the mirror and they just <laughs> are overwhelmed. Uh, of course, every job has its tough days too, but uh, majority of the days are, are pretty good. I've also been able to do some work in the Dominican Republic over the last few years, which has been very re rewarding. We had the opportunity to do some nonprofit work down there. Um, and over the years, we fit about 120 eyes. And these are for people that um, either did not have the service available to them or it was too expensive and they couldn't uh, have a prosthetic made. So that's been a very interesting and, and rewarding thing to be able to do as well. My last question for you is, I've experienced a few humorous situations in regards to my artificial eye. And I'm just wondering if by chance you would be willing to share a humorous story or two. Oh, yes, there are many. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I got a couple things. I mean, I, there's, there's always stories of patients that come in. I usually have time to talk with them. And a lot of times they'll, they'll tell me something interesting with their prosthetic eye. I can think of this one old fella. He was in the casino Regina, I think, and he, he was playing roulette or something. And he just wiped his lower eyelid. And, of course, the prosthetic fly fell out. And it went bouncing down the floor and plunked right into the floor vent. And, oh, my oh. goodness, <laughs> he, he, he tells you the story. Uh, he's pretty t happy to tell the story. But in the moment, I think he was really freaking out. So they had to get the staff come and open the vent and dig in there to get his eye out for him. And all in all, it all worked out well. But it was a pretty interesting story. And then, of course, I have 
have some patients that would like me to do something interesting with one of their old eyes when it comes to replace their, their prosthetic eye. And so this one guy comes to mind. I made him, of course, in Saskatchewan, very popular for our Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And uh, you might have seen this guy in the in the news a couple of years ago. This guy is a big Riders fan, and he goes to the home games here in Regina. And, of course, every game he puts his Riders eye in. And I guess he's become quite the star with a lot of the people in the, in the stadium getting pictures of him and stuff. He's pretty proud of his Rough Rider eye. <laughs> Both of those are stories that totally needed to be shared. And it makes life feel just so much more normal for me. Go Riders, go! And that brings us to the end of this episode of The Blind Reality. I'd like to thank my ocularist, John, for taking time out of his busy day to come and have a conversation with me. And as always, I'd like to thank my family for their continued love and support. This episode was written and produced by me, Becky Zarr. Technical production was provided by AMI-audio's Nasreen Abdel-Majid. And the manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Remember, until next time, if you need a hand, get it. If you can give a hand, give it. Thanks for listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.